Hey guys, welcome back to the next episode of Physique Science Podcast. This is your co-host Sohi Lee with Dr. Lane Norton. We're here today with Brett Contreras. Um, he is known as the glute guy and perhaps less officially or more recently known as also Buttman, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Brett uh, posted a Instagram photo recently with the shirt that someone had made for him with uh it was like what was it the Batman logo and it said Buttman on it or something I loved it That's anyway amazing. yeah but it's not the Batman logo it's like two butt cheeks was it <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say you could get like the the eye covers the superheroes have you know except instead of like in the you could get them in the shape of butt cheeks you know <laughs> oh, it, was, it was awesome I was sitting there cracking up and you know most Instagram photos they don't really make me laugh out loud but I was rolling with that one it was very clever <laughs> All right, so um, Brett, guy, for, the owner of my gym, the gym that I work out at, he, it was his shirt, and he actually took the shirt off of his back to give it to me. He said, you deserve this more than I do. <laughs> I love it. I'm sure other people would wear it, too. <clears throat> um, so, okay, so Brett, for the listeners who may not be um, as familiar with your work, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you specialize in, as if it's not readily apparent? Yes. Um, well, first of all, Lane and Sohi, thank you very much for having me on. I'm a big fan of both of you. And uh, Lane, I even watch all of your workout videos and everything. I, I <laughs> sit through all of it. So I've listened to both of you guys. You watch those 30-minute abominations? Wow. I do. I do. <laughs> wow. You've influenced the way that I train myself. Um, oh, thank and, you. I appreciate and it. And thank you for that because I... I, I um you know I pay attention to everyone I I learn from everyone but you can't uh, it's it's funny if I ever talk you know powerlifters are very uh, um, opinionated and I I always will be arguing with the the guys at my gym and I'm like you know what about Lane then like I use you as an example if they're saying you know too much volume or too much frequency or too much this but. Uh, you know, I, I, a guy you know, Steve Cleva, he also trained at the gym, and I watched him, his results as well. And so I'd be a fool not to pay attention to, um, you know, the way you guys train. And so I, I've, I've, I've shifted the way I train. I just can't do the deadlift volume. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I've, I've also learned a lot from you guys over the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, the, the way that I incorporate um, you know nutritional recommendations for clients I do the same if it fits your macros mm -hmm. approach and um, probably the other readers or listeners sorry the listeners um, who have heard of me most know of me through my glute you know expertise because that's what I write I always write about glutes at least once a week I try to because my my fans get restless if I don't write about <laughs> glutes but I actually have a, a research review service, and I, I it's funny because I I've I remember telling my partner Chris Beardsley he's in the UK, he and I started doing this like three years ago, and I told him three years ago this is something I never want to outsource. You know, we could pay someone else to do it for us, but that's mm -hmm. not the purpose. The point is to stay current with the research, to 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 keep being an expert, and so every single month I will sift through like uh, up to a hundred journals over 70 every single month and I pick out the best research and we'll pick 50 articles and summarize them for our, our, our readership but it's on all areas of 
you know, biomechanics, all the straight, all the training studies done in strength and conditioning, um, you know, everything on uh, that's important on biomechanics, strength training, you know, exercise biomechanics and physiology and even physical therapy research. And so, I like to think that I'm more more have more expertise than just glutes, but I'm most well known for my glute stuff. And I think probably. Like nine out of thing, ten ten things I post on Instagram have to do with butts, so I I deserve. <laughs> but anyway, that's uh, I'm getting my PhD in sports science, and uh, so the question is, uh, are you a fan of Sir Mix a Lot? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like that cup, that song comes on a lot, like uh, just randomly. You must when, just smile every time. <laughs> yeah, when I'm training people, it comes on a lot, and I'm like, this is just too good to be that's true. Awesome. <laughs> So so tell us a little bit. So how did you obviously being known as the glute guy or butt man, um, you know, that's kind of a that's an interesting title, you know, but how, how did that how did that come about? Like what was your how did your research and ass come about? I guess. Uh, no, but in, in all seriousness, uh, where, where did you you know, we all like I'm very passionate about protein metabolism, obviously, and that's why I did my PhD in. Um, how did you? Is this what your research is in? And how did you get real interested in that? How did you? And how did you get known as the glute guy? So okay, I'm gonna try and make this quick. This was October 13th, 2006. So over eight years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I was watching a UFC fight. I was watching Tito Ortiz and Ken Shamrock fight. There was, I think, it was their third fight, and I, I didn't care who won. I just wanted it to be a good. A good UFC fight, and and uh, Tito ma full mounted Ken Shamrock, and and you know he's raining down punches, and I'm like buck buck him off, get him off of you, you know, and uh, you know I, I had a I have an identical twin brother, and we fought every single day of our lives, and we'd always be in that that position, the full <laughs> mount, and I'd buck him off. We we got pretty <laughs> strong and coordinated hips from always. <laughs> that sounds bad. We'd always full mount each other and <laughs> bunk each other off. So, and then I, I actually did like two years of Brazilian jiu-jitsu training, and so you learn how to get off. You do the hip bump or whatever, and you escape. But uh, Ken Shamrock wasn't even trying. And so, as a CSCS, you know, at that time, I started thinking there should be an exercise that people can do. To strengthen that motion, so they so they at least try, so they have the strength and power to try to get the person off. And some of the jujitsu guys could argue that the best fighters can get their hooks in, and you can't just buck them off. But having from experience, I can tell you, if you have freakishly strong glutes from that range of motion, you you can. I mean, I've had times where I launched the person over myself. So, <laughs> um, so anyway. I said that there should be an exercise to strengthen this range of motion. So I, I didn't think of putting a padded barbell in my hips. And I'm like, you can't just ask, like, you know, it wouldn't be appropriate to be like, if you and I are working out, Lane, for me to Let be me able to. Let me sit on Yeah, quick. Lane, can you straddle me and I'll both <laughs> out like, you know, 30 reps? <laughs> so, so I like thought. Like donkey calf raises, it's totally appropriate. Yeah, oh, right, yeah. Right. It's the best. All those 1980s donkey calf <laughs> shirtless bodybuilders but anyway so I actually went out to my garage I have a reverse hyper and a glute ham raise I put them like four feet away from each other I lay my back on the rounded glute ham raise pad I put my feet up on the reverse hyper and I put a dip a weighted dip belt with like four plates because I thought that'll weigh about 180 
um, and that'll be around what a human weighs. And I did, so I start sinking down and doing this hip thrust motion, and I got like 15 reps, and all of a sudden my I almost pulled my left glute muscle, and I was like, wow. whoa, I've never felt anything work my glutes this well. So I thought, you know, I need to popularize this exercise, and then I'm like, no one will ever do this. Like if I told yeah. people, you know, put it for put a you know a dip belt on and squirm yeah, yeah. up onto a reverse high, uh, glute ham raise and put your feet on a reverse hyper, no one would ever do it. Plus, the things can slide apart, and you could hurt yourself. So, right, this needs its own machine. So I actually invented a machine called the Scorcher back then. But I never even thought to do it off a regular bench. It, that took me years to just think, just do it off a bench and put a padded barbell in your lap. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I had my machine that I had in my gym. I had a, a gym in Scottsdale. All my clients with, who saw really, the, my clients saw really good results and they would urge me, Brett, you should start up a blog. You should start writing. You need to be writing for all the fitness magazines. Your methods really work. And I'm like, I'm too busy training people. I'm t tired at the end mm -hmm. of the day. I have no extra time. So to make a long story short, I closed up my gym, I started up a blog, then I got all of our social media and did the the YouTube, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that. And now it's years later and I'm actually now trying to get get my PhD in pretty much glutes and mm -hmm. and investigate um what you know we have there's a lot of disagreements in the field what are the best ways to build glutes and so my I've done EMG um, electromyography on these different glute exercises, which there are problems with EMG, which a lot of people point out. But I I actually think EMG is very useful for determining what are the best exercises for for a, a muscle. But there are reasons why you could still have a good exercise and it could have a low mean or peak EMG, right. and it's still worth doing. But so so the the the, the way you do a PhD, the first you know, several studies you do, at least in, in New Zealand, I'm getting my PhD out of New Zealand still. The first studies give you clues. They're mechanistic studies to hint at, you know, the answer or to help you develop your hypothesis or your training study. And then uh, you, you do a final culminating study where, in this case, I'm going to do a training study and I'm going to find out, you know, the, the answer to this question of which are better for glute growth, is it squats or is it hip thrusts? And then what if you combine the two and do cool. a volume weight? Yeah, and that's, so it's kind of funny. I had to buy an ultrasound machine so I can measure hypertrophy. I was going to ask how you're going to measure that. Yeah. <laughs> I assume like you're going to do circumference as well. I mean, even though that can be different because of leg mass and that sort of thing, or are you just going to do right. ultrasound? Well, I was going to do glute girth initially, but I okay. a lot of clients that I train whose butts look way better and their glute girth doesn't change at all huh. because they're shifting things around, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, that's actually, yeah, because you could lose body fat. And, yeah, that makes sense. What I, what I also would like, you know, it's funny, Lane, you'll, you might relate to this. One issue with studies is that you always have to control the variables, so you have to match the volume with everything. But Yep. Sometimes I wish you didn't. Well, you can't. You can get a study published that isn't volume matched. But then, I think the peer reviewer. It would be tough to get it published because the peer reviewers would point out. But sometimes I wish we could just mimic, not not match volume, and just mimic what everyone else is doing, and just say this is a realistic routine. Because I think yeah, I think you I think you probably could. You just have to really emphasize, you know, what the shortcomings of that of that research are, and like not a lot of people want to do that. But yeah, you I think. 
I think it could get published, maybe not have the same impact, but yeah. I, I understand your we, I definitely we, uh, understand your uh your uh what you're saying because that's very true. Like like for example, you you always hear and powerlifters do this the most. And it frustrates me because you'll hear them say don't do that exercise, just do this, just squat. That's and right. I think it's yeah. funny because it's, it's usually with glutes. So if you, if you see someone do a tricep extension, I don't see the, be- the power that just go, just bench. Or, yeah. or a, a military press, just bench or a whatever. Um, well, you know. also the, it also depends on what your goals are. I mean, if your goals are just to have a better squat, are, are, are hip thrusts going to help you with that more than, say, just squatting an equal amount of volume more? Probably not just because of the specific skill involved in squatting, but if your goal is to grow your glutes bigger, well, specific for that is going to be an exercise that is specific for that muscle. Well, that's what I would... Uh, what's interesting, Lane, is that... Um, so I've gotten more feedback about this you know, over the last several years than anyone because, you know, people feel obligated to email me. So I <laughs> tell you there's probably, I would say maybe like 60 to 60% of powerlifters will do hip thrusts and they don't feel much transfer. But there's about 40% who, and, and, I, and I, just like every other assistance lift, it doesn't like it doesn't keep working year after year after year. Like the more right. you do it, the more. But initially, I think it teaches some people to use their hips more. Even the last powerlifting competition I went to, the best lifter there, he came up and he's like, "Dude, I got it." He actually found me through you, Lane. It's funny, um, but um, he came up and said, "I got to thank you." The I've been doing hip thrusts, and he goes, "I don't know how you use your 500 pounds. I just use 185." right now for like three sets of 12 and my squat went through the roof and so what do wow. I tell these people like yeah. no nah, it was probably the placebo effect or it was probably this <laughs> to them I think it does work for some people initially it helps them but you're right for glute development it's better but even with glute development I'll tell you having tested the EMG so it's funny because research reports averages I wouldn't just it's so hard to make blanket recommendations for everyone right. I'll tell you like since I have EMG, I will use it on my clients and one of my clients, uh, Aaron, who saw some of the best glute transformation I've ever seen, when I tested her, and it's funny because a lot of times you test people but you can palpate, like poke, you know, poke the glutes from the side and you can feel how it develops the most tension. And uh, I'll tell you a, a tale of two different lifters. So we have this power lifter, her name's Devin. So I see the people's glutes when I put the electrodes on, you know, like they have to pull their pants down. I put the electrodes on their butt cheek. And um, this Devin has the most muscular glutes out of anyone I've ever measured. She's a she's a power lifter. Her glutes are unreal. And so she has, she gets the most, uh, she gets her, the what she gets in the lower glutes from squats equals that of what she gets for hip thrusts. Well, with upper glutes, you always get more uh, glute activity with hip thrusts than squats. Squats work more lower glutes, not hmm. so much upper yeah. glutes. But Devin is one of the – there were like two girls who got almost as much lower glute activation or, or equal with squats compared to hip thrusts. And go figure. She does a ton of squatting. Her glutes look amazing. And But here's what's crazy. I test her with all these lateral things that a lot of people might think are a waste of time like – Lateral band walks, um, band, hip, you know, hip abductions, band seated hip abductions, 
banded sideline clams, and she got ba- barely any activation. Her form looked good. It wasn't an issue of her doing it wrong. It's just that her glutes do not activate well doing lateral things. So when I helped her with her program, why would I give her any of these lateral things? You could poke her glutes and tell even through palpation that they weren't activating anything. Mm-hmm. You could ask her and she'd go, yeah, I never feel these. I don't know why people do these. I never wow. feel them. And through EMG, you could tell that they don't work much. And so when I write her program, it's a lot of squatting, hip thrusting, and then deadlifts. Deadlifts got her you know, a ton of activation as well. It's all sagittal plane, you know, hip extension stuff. Well, my uh, to tell you a completely different story, my client Erin, when she sits down and puts bands around her knees and does just seated hip abductions, her glutes get so rock hard, you can feel them. And it's, it's upper and lower glutes, and it's like, holy crap, this works her glutes well. So I tested her, and she gets like, on every rep of a, you know, which you can do a set of like 30, but on every rep, she, she gets around 70% as much activation as she does with like a, a heavy squat or hip thrust or, or deadlift. She gets more activation through these lateral band stuff than anyone I've ever tested. So I said, Aaron, these are like a money exercise for you because no one, no one wakes up the next day going, oh my God, I'm beat down from these lateral band <laughs> It's like, it's like, it's like penalty free volume and that it does not affect your recovery at all. Sure. I go, Aaron, do these seven days a week. I'm not kidding you. Do like three sets seven days a week. <clears throat> yeah. And she started doing it. Her butt blew up. It's the most one of the most amazing glute transformations I've ever seen. And she has yeah. one of the nicest butts I've ever seen. And she does these all the time. So what works for so this is why, you know, for bodybuilding purposes, you do need to experiment and figure out the best exercises for you. Not everyone is the same. And you you learn right. this when you do EMG experimentation with different people. You'll find these uh, anomalies where it really ma- it really affects the way you train them for physique purposes. Very interesting. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Um, and, and you know, Brett, you're you're seeing these differences. And I think, actually, I, I we're gonna go to actually we need to go to a commercial break uh, because uh, that was really interesting. I got caught up in it and uh, forgot to do a commercial. So <laughs> we're gonna go to a commercial break. Uh, Get our sponsor some love, and uh, we'll be right back with the glute guy. I have a few questions for him that I'm looking forward to for Brett to cover. So we'll be back. You'll listen to Physique Science Radio. Hey, guys. One of the things that's always on my mind is how can I give back to the industry that has done so much for me? That's why we formed the BioLane Foundation. The BioLane Foundation is a philanthropic initiative to raise money for grad school level research that is going to contribute to the fitness industry. And 100% of all your donations will be paid out to students. If you'd like to donate, you can go to BioLane.com, click on the About tab, and click on BioLane Foundation, and you can put your donation in through there. Or, if you're a student and you'd like to apply for a grant, go to BioLane.com, click the About tab, BioLane Foundation, and you can find the applications online there. Thank you guys so much, and I'm looking forward to all the great research that comes from these donations.
You're listening to Physique Science Radio with Lane Norton and Sohi Lee. If you like what you hear and you'd like to learn more about us, read some of our articles, please visit my website at www.biolane.com and Sohi's website at sohifit.com. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you listening and hope to hear more from you in the future. We're back on Physique Science Radio. I'm your host, Lane Norton, and our guest today is Brett Contreras, the glute guy, a.k.a. butt man. Uh, and so um, Brett was telling us about some of his, his interesting research and just kind of uh, – Brett, I'm like you, and uh, my friend Ben Escrow says the same thing. Um, every client is an experiment for you, uh, and it seems like you really, you really look at it that way, uh, looking at EMGs on your clients and that sort of thing. I, I love it. I think that's great. Um, and you talked about how some people got, you know, very little glute activation from certain exercises. And other people got a lot of glute activation from certain exercises. And I posted a video the other day uh, with regards to squats, and I I can't remember the guy's name, um, but this guy is showing he's built a model of of a human. Tom Purvis. Yeah, yes. I posted on my blog last week. His name's yeah. Tom Purvis. Yep. Unbelievable video. I mean, it's just it's a very simple model, but my God, it makes it completely apparent how when you change femur and tibia lengths just even just oh, doing that right. yeah it completely changes how you're going to have to squat and uh, he showed a model where somebody had a short torso uh, short short tib fib and long femur and I mean it looks like the person I mean the person's completely folded over during a squat you know and um, and so for that person you know um, People will tell them, well, you need to work your quads more. Hit your quads. Do your quads. Well, they can't. There, <laughs> there's no way. For, I mean, yes, of course, if you're having, you know, uh, you know, if you're getting below parallel, there's going to be some quad involvement, no question. But there's there's nothing that person can do to overcome the hamstring and lower back involvement that's going to be for them for squats. There's right. just nothing they can that's do. Right. And, and that's, you know, that's me. And I'm like looking at it, I'm like, oh, well, that's me. <laughs> And because um, the bar has to stay over your midfoot. And so, Brad, I was just sitting here thinking, I'm like, I wonder how much structure, and I don't know if you've looked at this, but like a person's structure, um, their hips, all that sort of stuff would play into what exercises work better for them. Yep. Okay. So, uh, first of all, Lane, I just sent you an email. It's, it's something even better than that because uh, <laughs> I, I discussed this. That I'll, be, I'll be mind blown because that was one of the greatest things I've ever it seen. Was. It was awesome. I, I, I actually started just started up my own podcast and on my second episode I discussed that model and and I loved I was like god this is what I've been so when I had my two interns working for me we, we made a model of myself with 2 by 4s and hinges and it <laughs> measured my torso my femur my spine all the lengths and I I wanted to see how I you know how things look with Olympic shoes. If I angle, how, you know how things can look, and how if the bar stays over the the midfoot, how things have to look. And I'm like you, Lane. My femurs are really long, and I have to fold over. I can't be the perfectly upright squatter. But uh, this this thing, this link I just sent you is even better. It's an interactive. It's an interactive. It's on some random random website I've never heard of. Um, athleticdesign.se I don't even know what .se what country that means but anyway it's you yes, can change the guys you can change the guys uh, thigh length and so you can and, and wow. it, you can adjust his different oh. 
and then you drag him down into the squat, and it, in and if if it maxes out his his dorsiflexion, it won't let you go further. And if it, you know if you sit back in the the bar still has so the bar has to stay over the midfoot, and so you can see Lane if you make the guy's femur longer, uh, you'll see oh, yeah. it has to. It, it, you cannot in the, in a lot of people. You know, Lane, you've probably dealt with this more than me because I actually don't post my videos that much with squats because I'm so sick of people telling me, you know, I need to be like you and battle these people and just leak <laughs> over and over because we need to we need to tell this misconception that everyone should squat the same way. I wish I had a beautiful, you know, squat, but I tend to lean forward a lot and I wish my deadlift I, I tend to round as well. I feel like I'm the Rudy of powerlifting because my <laughs> I'm stronger when I bench with my elbows flared a little bit. I'm stronger when I kind of good morning my squats and when I round my deadlift. I, I'm not a very good powerlifter, but that doesn't mean, you know, I'm still going to compete and have fun for me and try and set PRs. I think you start comparing yourself, you know, Lane, if I compared myself to you, I'd be depressed every day and be like, man, I'm a, a, a not cut out for this. I'm a sissy, but I... I root if I you compared up. my ass to yours, I would be depressed. So. <laughs> no, you have more muscular glutes than I do. It's just my hip thrust strength is awesome. And that's what we what you <laughs> to lead into um, what you asked, how structure affects things. So here's what's interesting. Here's another thing I'm doing. So if you think about the hip thrust, it's harder at end range hip extension. And... Some guys are very strong in flexed range hip extension. So when I was in New Zealand, we tested this through an isokinetic dynamometer. But we tested the All Blacks rugby team, and uh, you could test different ranges of motion too, and find out what's your hip extension strength in a fully flexed position. What about mid range? What about end range? And here's what's interesting: people have like over two, like 2.5 times more hip extension strength in the bottom of hip flexion than they do at the very top at lockout. That's shown about across like four different studies and it's also what we found when we did this. And even with me, a guy who does mostly hip thrusts, I'm still way stronger in deep hip flexion. But most some people are very, very weak in full hip extension. Well, so the hip thrust requires you to, if you do it right, you're resisting end range hip extension. The squat is mostly flexed range. Well, I'm really good at in-range hip extension strength. And so the theory is that if you do that, and this is something else that needs to be verified through training studies because one of my favorite quotes is from Richard Feynman, the physicist, and he says, if it doesn't match experiments, it's wrong. If theory doesn't match experiments, mm -hmm. no, matter, no matter how fancy it is, it's wrong. So I'm really good at coming up with nifty little theories. I can make these fancy theories to where you believe them before there's any research with them. Exactly. And uh, you need to have, it's incomplete until you have the training study to verify the theory. And so this is a theory that I've Ex developed. But real, real quick to jump in, because uh, it made me think of something. and It's useful for our listeners, especially our young scientists out there. Um, if you, my advisor, Dr. Lehman, calls this torturing the data. I love that term. If you torture the data enough, I can probably get you to believe darn near anything, okay? Um, there was a study that, not not a study, it was a satirical study, but it was published in a, in a, in a research review that basically was arguing for uh, the benefits of smoking on endurance exercise, saying that sm basically they were trying to come up with data to support 
that smoking could enhance endurance exercise. Now, if you actually measure in uh, what happens to your endurance performance when you smoke, it goes down. Absolutely. But they basically they basically put all together all these points of data saying, well, you know, this happens in the lung when you smoke and that also happens when you do exercise and X, Y, Z. And so, you know, people, if you had no knowledge of what cigarettes do, you would say, wow, that makes really good sense. I'm going to start smoking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And so yep, the point is, like you're, like you're saying, Brett, you have to test it, right? And this is why when I did, when I did my graduate work, um, we had all this data showing that, you know, different sources of protein based on the leucine contents um, would impact muscle protein synthesis differently. And that's why at the end, we actually measured were there differences in muscle mass because measuring differences in muscle protein synthesis means actually absolutely jack shit if you don't actually show differences in muscle mass. Yep. And that's the same premise with EMG. If I show that hip thrusts lead to much higher glute activation than squats, well, it can make people theorize that that means more glute hypertrophy, but I have to measure that. I have to go the extra mile, which is a pain in the butt, by the way, to do a <laughs> training study. But if I want to, you know, if I want to answer that question, you can't just use EMG. EMG gives you clues, but there are reasons why it could not work out that way. And so, Maybe the squat gives you more muscle damage, which uh, even though you know because it puts you into deeper hip flexion, and the um, you know the, it's it's the the eccentric load on the glutes as you go down, the fibers are damaged to a greater degree, and maybe over time that leads to more satellite cell recruitment, and over the course you know of time that leads to greater glute growth. There could be reasons why, even though you're not getting as as much metabolic stress or as much um, you know, activation, scientists could theorize, you know, all day long and come up with different theories. You need the re- you need the training, the longitudinal research to support it. And so to finish off what I was saying, I'm strong at end range hip extension. So I'm coming out with a new test that I'm trying to use in sports for sports performance where you just put the force plate like a few feet away from the wall and you stand on the force plate, you lean against the wall and you push into the wall as hard as you can that's going to show your maximum horizontal force production. Mm-hmm. Well, my two interns could squat five, like 515 and 555, and my squat is only, well, right now it's like I think 425, but the most I've ever done is competitions like 410. I'm a terrible, terrible squatter, but I am six foot four. I've, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I, when I push into the wall, I can create more force horizontal force than they can. So they're better squatting, you know, producing vertical force mm-hmm. from down deep than I am, but I'm p- better pushing into the wall and you know, I'm not into these deep hip flexion hip flexion ranges of motion. So my initial pilot data shows that, you know, probably your force pushing into the ground or pushing horizontally like a lineman might be really good at pushing someone forward, but he might not have the best squat. It the, the two aren't necessarily correlated, but that's a whole different mm discussion but to answer you about uh, like your anthropometry and squatting I need to do a full-on study on this because this would be very intriguing but I will tell you that a few of the best squatters that I have with very you know very uh, short femurs and they're very upright squatters and they can squat a ton some of them have the lowest glute activation and some of the worst squatters have the highest glute activation guys like you and me Lane that fold over Um, that you would say, 
you know, what's funny is a lot of powerlifters would. Well, go, you have oh. to. You're going to have to take the the glutes through a greater range of motion to finish the exercise. Hmm. I don't know if they go through a greater range because those guys go deep. The hip flexion might be similar. Yeah, well, that, leaning forward more. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but uh, a lot of the powerlifters would look at that squat and say, "You need to use learn to use your glutes better." When that's not the case, the the prettier squatters might not be need to use their glutes as much because their quads are so strong. Dominant. Yeah. So it, that's something that would require an, another study. But some of my pilot data shows that the ugliest squatters use their glutes more than the prettier squatters. Well, I think what's interesting is uh, you get into the problem with people using correlation to prove a point. And uh, so, for example, people will say, well, look at all these great squatters. They all squat upright. They're not upright because they choose to be. They're great at squatting because mm. they're able to remain upright. Okay, they're they're great at squatting because they have very they have a short range of motion because their femurs are typically very short. Okay, so for them to get to parallel, it is actually a shorter movement than what you or I are going to have to go through yep. based on our limb lengths, and that's something that you know people fail to understand and acknowledge. So for the listeners, uh, we I've been working with Brett for the past. This is week four now. Um, preparing for a powerlifting meet sometime this spring. Um, I competed, you know, last November in a bikini competition. And since then, I've surprisingly been maintaining my stage weight and eating almost 2,000 calories a day. I'm 5'2", 105, 106, 107 pounds. And I had a call with Brett a few weeks ago. He said, so he, you should powerlift now. And, you know, I said, well, you know, <laughs> which I, and then I was like, are you crazy? And then, um, and then he said, you know, I said, well, I guess I, you know, I don't really have aesthetic goals at this time. You know, I'm not looking to put on a bunch of muscle mass and I am feeling a little bit aimless in the gym. So I said, okay, let's do it. So, um, I've been <laughs> sending Brett, you know, he, we wrote a, a program for me together a few weeks ago and then uh, I've been sending Brett videos of my squat bench deadlift and, you know, he gives me feedback, you know, try, um, I, I'm trying out low bar squatting for the first time and it feels so weird by the way. Um, it will. Yeah, but and I keep saying I feel like I keep saying the bar's gonna roll off my back, and he's like, I think you can still go lower, you know. I'm like, I don't think I can, but you know, it, it's hard to do because you know, we're doing pretty much distance coaching. But Brett, I'm curious as to what for someone like me with I'm five two, I've got not long legs at all. Um, would you say I'm more of an upright squatter, or, or do you think? Because I don't see that when I when I watch my videos, I don't think of myself as an upright squatter so much. So. Uh, w one thing I will say, I I've have so much experience training. Like I, a lot of powerlifters have a lot of great experience in tra training powerlifting. You know, powerlifters and people who are already awesome at squatting. And I'm the guy who takes the bikini competitor who could care less about her strength, <laughs> or the or the newbie who's just new to lifting, and I get them to be good squatters or you know. I bring up their squat strength a lot, and I will tell you that all almost I can't think of a single woman who ever, when I first started squatting with them, did did low bar. It feels natural to do yeah, high bar. Yeah, high bar feels comfortable. And when they go low bar, it's harder for them to feel stable. You know, for guys, we've got a lot of muscle mass. We kind of wedge ourselves in. Sure. It's more 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 natural. But for women, some of them. Some of them it feels natural once you teach them, but others it takes a while. And some of them, uh, I have two clients that I just don't go there. They they go high bar. I have this really thin client CG, and she just doesn't. It just doesn't look or feel right. So we don't go there. We we go high bar. But when when 
what's crazy is I'll stick, I'll stay high bar for their first like month or two of squatting, and then I'll say, okay, it's time to learn low bar. And a lot of them PR their first time ever low barring. They have yep. to learn to lean forward a little bit more. But yep. your torso angle necessarily has to has to lean forward a little mm-hmm. bit more. So when you're at the bottom of the squat in the low bar, you're going to be leaning forward more. And that so many people have it ingrained into their heads that that's bad. That's that means you're doing the squat wrong, and it's not true. You want to use a good uh, blend of your knees and hips. You want your quads and hip extensors to help you with the weight. And so with the low bar, you're leaning forward more, and uh, you're using a, uh, you want to use as much as you can of all the available muscle mass. And so I would say, Sohi, that you are a very even blend. You would look at oh. your frame and say you're going to be an upright knee dominant squatter, but no, you've strengthened your hips over the years, and you're you're going to be better with the lower you can get. You're going to be better that way. That's cool. Oh, okay. And so just so everyone knows, we will be posting these. Um, videos of mine in a few months when everything is done so, to, to provide some context to this. <laughs> Very cool. Well, let's take a quick commercial break. and We'll come back. We're talking with Brett Contreras, the glute guy. Hey, guys. Lane here. Well, you all know how much I love variety in my diet. I can't stand eating the same bland food every single day. That's why I love www.myoatmeal.com. It's an amazing website where you can go and customize oatmeal. I know, I know, I know. Why would I want to go customize oatmeal? I can eat it right out of the bag. Well, let me tell you why. Myoatmeal.com has 22 billion combinations of flavors and ingredients. You heard me right. 22 billion combinations. Whether you're picking out a pre-made blend or making your own customized blend, they have all kinds of flavors. Want red velvet cake? No problem. Snickerdoodle? You can make it happen. Butter rum? Oh yeah. Cheesecake? You can get it done. And you have all kinds of additives you can add. Apples, raisins, pears, nuts, all kinds of seeds, and you can sweeten it any way you want. Need to eat gluten-free? No problem. They've got it. The best part of it all? The macros are listed as you're customizing your blend, and they change depending on which ingredients you add. Eating a little bit lower carb? No problem. Choose ingredients that make your carb count lower. Need more protein? Add higher protein ingredients. You can customize your blend to make it almost any breakdown that you want. And the prices and macros change as you change your blend. So go on over to www.myoatmeal.com and check out some of the blends that have already been made. Or be adventurous and make your own. That's myoatmeal.com. Check it out, guys. Hey guys, many of you out there know I spend a lot of time bagging on bad coaches. And certainly, there's more than enough of those to go around. But a lot of times people ask me who I do recommend. Well, one person we can recommend wholeheartedly is Paul Ravella of Pro Physique. Paul has received more referrals from me over the last two years than any other coach, and with good reason. Paul is competent, professional, caring, and carries himself with a lot of integrity. 
If you hire Paul, you're going to be getting the very best at a great value. Paul is also one of my closest personal friends, and I can say with absolute certainty, I feel 100% comfortable with referring my closest friends and family to him, because I've done that. Paul Ravella of ProPhysique.com. Check him out, guys. Hey guys, you know me, and you know I love cooking up macro-friendly option meals. But sometimes when I'm always on the go, that's just not an option. So when I'm on the go or can't cook a meal, I love Quest Bars. You know I love protein and fiber, and these are packed with 20 grams of high-quality protein and super high in fiber. And it's easy to stay on target when you've got Quest Bars that you can bring with you anywhere. They're delicious compared to other bars that taste like bricks and leave you feeling gassy and bloated. So pick up a bar of Quest Bars today at questnutrition.com, GNC, and Vitamin Shop. Also, follow them on Instagram, at questnutrition, and youtube.com slash questnutrition for great recipe ideas to keep you on your goals but eating delicious. Hey guys, welcome back. We thought it'd be uh, interesting to talk a little bit about my powerlifting program a little bit more, the one that I'm doing with um, Brett. Uh, on our commercial break, we were discussing the um, DUP aspect of it and how um, you know going from an aesthetic goal from a bikini committer to now an aspiring powerlifter, uh, I think it'd be interesting to talk about how that changes things and how that changes um, our bodies and our perception of everything. Um, and, and Lane was Lane mentioned that he said, you know, it's an interesting observation where sometimes when women and I'm sure males, too, when when we let go of our need to look a certain way, especially by a certain deadline, we actually start to look better um, because, yeah. yeah, which I think is I totally agree with it. That that's what happened with me last year when I said, screw it, I'm not going to count macros for the next however many months. And um I just, you know, I just stopped worrying about it. I stopped stressing out. I stopped expecting certain progress by certain deadlines, and I was much happier, and I got leaner. Yeah, I think with regards to strength training, a lot a lot what happens, and you can give your input, Brett, but I think a lot what happens is that, you know, a physique goals are not an objective thing. Like, yes, if you look at, you know, somebody who diets and loses 20 pounds, they will definitely look different before and after. But if you're talking about day to day, week to week, um, it's a subjective thing. You know, you sure. you may look in the mirror and you say, "Oh, maybe I look better." I, I can't tell. And then we just have fluctuations from day to day, where maybe you're holding a little bit less body fat or a little bit less body water. You know, that sort of thing, and, and it just changes the way you look. So, um, where strength is an objective measurement, you know, I can I can I can see I added a rep this week. I added five right. pounds this week. Right. That 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 is an objective measurement, and so a lot of times, what especially with women who have been kind of stuck in a rut for a long time, if I can convince them to get started strength training and focus on a strength goal, what will happen is they will all of a sudden, now that they're getting positive feedback, they're actually getting stronger. They're seeing improvements. Um, their physique starts improving. And uh, I think part of that is letting go of the stress. And part of that is because most women have been told for so long, oh, don't lift heavy, don't squat, mm -hmm. don't deadlift. Uh, when they start doing those big compound movements, they get quite a bit of, uh, of growth and, and, and change in body composition. What's, your, what's been your experience with that, Brett? So it's funny. There's, I'm training this, this uh, client, Paul, and he's, he was six foot five, 
180 pounds. Oh my goodness. Yeah, just thin, real thin. Very, yeah, real thin guy, and he he's so nervous about putting on body fat that anytime he would lift weights for a while, he'd gain a few pounds, and then he'd be nervous that it's some of it's fat, so he would quit. And I I told him, Paul, there's something that's common knowledge to us lifters. And it's that when you first start a progressive overload program, when you first finally just say, look, I'm going to go set PRs, I'm going to go in and week in and week out. Because when you're, when you're new, every week you're just slaughtering PRs. And I tell my clients, right. don't get spoiled. It's not, it's not like this where like last week you got eight reps on something and the next week you get 12. You know, you got 50% more reps. But that's what happens with these beginners for two or three months every week they're just killing their PRs and I, I tell the guys you've got 20 pounds to put on where it's almost all muscle now I don't have research to back that up maybe I'm just blowing smoke up their butts but it tends to work because they'll put on Paul's now put on 10 pounds and it's all muscle he'll put on 20 pounds and most of it will all be muscle that's how it is Great, with yeah. males but with women so maybe they don't have 20 pounds of muscle to put on that's not, they wouldn't want to put on 20 pounds of muscle, you know, right away. But let's say you don't, just don't eat as much. Let's say you gain a ton of strength, but you keep your calories in check or, you know, maybe you increase it a little bit, but, but you're not going to go overboard with the calories. What does that look visually on the physique when you gain a ton of strength? Well, let's say you didn't change in weight. Let's say, Sohi, what do you weigh? Again, one, 106. Yep. 106. So if Sohi weighs 106 and through her training, you know, increases her strength by 30%, in order to do that, she might have to gain three pounds of muscle. But since she didn't lose any, she didn't lose or gain weight, that means that if she put on three pounds of muscle, she will have had to have lost three pounds of fat. Sure. And, you know, I've had clients, female clients that don't change on the scale at all in like a three-month period. But everything is, they'll have two inch gaps when they wear their old, old clothes around their waist. And why is that? They didn't lose any weight, but how do they look so different? How are clothes fitting so different? How are their sizes, their, their shape is different. And it's because mu muscle, if you take a pound of muscle and a pound of fat, the fat has 18% more volume. And so if you lose, if you gain 10 pounds of muscle and lose 10 pounds of fat, you know that the 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 fat takes up more space than right. the muscles. So you yeah, actually yeah. lose shape. You're actually a denser version of yourself. And so I think it does. Focusing on strength is so important for women, and not just when I when I say strength. So many people think that just means powerlifting, like one rep max squat mm -hmm. bench lift. And it means it means try to set. Uh, in, in the way I train my girls, we have we keep track of all of our PRs. We have our one rep. Three rep, five rep, cool. eight yeah. rep, rep. Good idea. So we want to set PRs on all rep ranges on all of our favorite exercises. So it's, you know, squats, deadlifts, bench press, hip thrusts, chin ups, rows, uh, all these different great glute, you know, all great uh, lower body and upper body exercises. If you can continue to do that over the years, your physique is going to keep looking better and better. Yeah, and you know, I really think it's that speaks to the importance of regardless of what your fitness goal may be. Um, the importance of actually trying to continually get stronger in the gym, even if you are trying to lose fat, I think there's this misconception out there that if you're losing fat, you shouldn't, you know, you should expect to lose a ton of strength, which I, I think is the norm, especially with, you know, competition preps. But 
Um, I think the norm should be, the new norm should be that you should be trying to get stronger from one week to the next, um, and which is what, you know, a lot of my clients experience and which is what I'm experiencing right now too, with, especially with smart programming and proper nutrition. Did you, yeah, I, like, I think you wanted Sohi to shed some light on her powerlifting program. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. So Sohi, t- <laughs> tell us, tell us, uh, tell us what you're doing. Oh, um, you know, it doesn't have to be sets and reps and that yeah, sort of yeah. thing, but give us kind of an overview of things. Well, so I'm right now, um, I actually love this change of pace because I have not until now, I have not back squatted for, years probably i don't know two three years because um i'm just a better front squatter i'm very quad dominant i have terrible ankle mobility and back squatting i was just like well you know it makes me nervous i'd rather front squat and you know the thing the whole thing with front squats you know if you if it gets too heavy you can just dump the weight and i normally especially with my home gym now i normally just i'm I'm lifting by myself so it's um easier for me to do so i started back squatting right now i'm starting uh i've got four days of uh full body programs a week each Three of those days start with squats. Um, either so today is going to be three by five, and then uh, what is it? Thursday is three by three, and then Saturday is three by one. So there's a DUP aspect of it. And then I bench twice a week and deadlift twice a week, and then everything else is filled with um, two days of glute bridges and some rowing and other accessory work. Um, so to begin, uh, again, keep in mind I don't like publicizing my starting numbers because they weren't very great. Um, but my starting numbers with the back squat, I believe was like 95 pounds. Um, and this was with the Adidas powerlifting shoes that you recommended lane, which I love, by the way, they're really growing on me. And yeah, so, very good. yeah, I started, uh, probably helps with your uh, ankle mobility as well. Oh um, yes. It helps with that too. And it's helped me, helped me getting, um, adequate depth, I feel like. So, and then this past Saturday, I just squatted 135, um, which for me has, I mean, is huge progress in, in three weeks. That was the end of that week three. Yeah. And so um, I'm finding that every week I'm increasing everything by, you know, five or 10 pounds or maybe an extra rep here and there. And obviously I don't expect the, the strength increases to stay linear. Um, but so far it's been really fun, fun to see. Um, so I'm only really doing four exercises per session, but it's still taking me 50 or so minutes, I'd say. Um, and I'm, I'm loving it. Elaine, I've heard you work you out like that. Three hours. Yeah. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I wish I could get mine in that time. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to understand. You know, when when this is gonna sound arrogant, but like for squats, I mean, just warming up and doing sub maximal sets to work up to six hundred plus pounds that takes me about forty five minutes just to do that, um, just to get mobile and all those sorts of things. And then, you know, with it, it's interesting. I've always I always tell people like I thought. You know, looking back, if you would have told me, "Hey, you'll squat 650 pounds one day," I would say, "Well, well, then 450 or 500 is going to feel light." And it turns out it doesn't feel light. Those weights still feel like they're crushing me. <laughs> it's and so, like when you're working up, and you even if I'm doing 70% of my one rep max or 75% of my one rep max, which is you know, 75% is around one 500 pounds, um, that I still need to good amount of time in between sets to recover from that. Even though if you would look at my the relation to my one rep max, I mean, I, I could do 75% of my one rep max on knee extension stuff, on leg on leg extension in with 60 seconds of rest, you know. But on squat, it's, it's just different. Your whole, you know, your whole body is supporting that weight. And, um, and, and you're basically, squatting is the 
art is the fine art of learning how to be crushed under control. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not freak out. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, my workouts take me quite a bit. If I, especially if I'm doing a squat bench deadlift session, they can they can take over three hours. Man, I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, I you know, I I, I like to train, so uh, you know, um, it it doesn't bother me that much. I mean, obviously. Like um, it takes a, a good portion of my day, and I wish I could go a little bit faster. But you know, it's not like I'm sitting there saying "God," because if I hated it, I wouldn't do it. You know, oh, that's all. Let's do it. I'm sure having that home gym now too helps with the time. Oh, time definitely, <laughs> definitely. No, no question about yeah. it. No question about it. Yeah, yeah. Big difference. So, um, so I think we'll talk about um. The, the undulation pattern. So you're doing a five three sure. one undulation pattern. Now five, some people will, will hear that and they'll say, "Oh, so she's doing five three one." Well, <laughs> uh, so what people get the wrong impression of DUP, daily undulating periodization. They'll say, "Lane, I I can't squat or deadlift, so I can't do DUP." No, no, no. Right. Um, DUP is just an undulation of rep patterns. Um, for for you can do it for any exercise. You right. can do DUP for wrist curls. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, it's just that it tends to be highly effective with the major movements uh, because you know implementing that type of periodization um, just provides you with so much feedback and, and tracking your volume and those sorts of things. But you can do it for anything, and there's not one set. You can undulate 20, 10, 5, 30, 20, 10, yeah. uh, 5, 3, 1. You can undulate any kind of rep pattern, but the point is, is that variety – Within your microcycle of training is is better than no variety. Mm-hmm. Would you? I mean, since you're, I'm not a. I don't try to hold myself to be an exercise expert, Brett. But would you say that that's kind of along your lines of how you understand it? Yes, and uh, there's. I'm, I plan on writing an article about DUP and touching on a lot of these things. I think the the one area that we need to kind of figure out is how to. How many lifts can you do? Can you undulate at a time? Mm, good question. I mean, you, you've had success doing this with the bench, the squat, and the deadlift, but and I think it depends on your mechanics as well. I'm a round back deadlifter now, so I have a choice. I can either arch and use less weight, and then I could mm-hmm. I could undulate it more effectively. But if I round, you know, I even had a period of time where I arched for six straight months and never rounded. And then when I went to test my one rep max, I was still seventy pounds stronger. I could pull six. Yeah. Six, I pulled six oh five rounded, but arched I got up to five thirty five. And I think now, the arch. Are you talking about lumbar rounding or thoracic rounding, Brett? So I, I like to say, and I all have people go now, Brett. You're rounding all in the upper back, but I can feel my. I did a my first uh, journal peer reviewed journal article I ever wrote, Lane, was called To Crunch or Not to Crunch. I yeah. read 400 journal articles on the spine and the discs, so it's it's a, something I'm very familiar with. But there's this study by Adams in 1985, and he was a spinal researcher. He showed that just limiting two degrees of end-range flexion on the discs limited the bending stress by 50%. It's wow. those last two degrees. It's those last end range that's the most stressful on the disc. So if you yeah. can, you do have some wiggle room with regards to your spine, your lumbar flexion a little bit. Just if, but if you go to end range, you're screwed. You will you will injure yourself. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I feel I I have good control of my lumbar and my upper back rounds a ton. 
I do think if I had markers on there, I'm, I'm really curious to know how much do I round my low back, but it's definitely, that's, if I felt my low back, like if I let it go and just released, I would, I would, oh man, I'd snap, snap, <laughs> snap, yeah. so, snap so, city, snap yeah, city, bro. <laughs> Uh, I, do, I do round a little bit, but just not much. It's but now, have you have you have you dealt with any low back injuries? Have you had any low back injuries, or just like strains here and there? It's weird. My twin brother works out over here, and he's having low back issues. And I remember in my twenties, I had low back issues, and now I don't know what it is. I just don't barely ever. I don't know if I have strengthened structures, or if my b brain just says, "I'm this. This isn't a threat. You don't need to." elicit the pain response or if I've learned enough about my mechanics to know exactly how to lift but I I yeah. barely hurt my back and and but but then again with deadlifting I know so if I arch I can get away with more volume but if I round and I think the round back builds my round back strength more like yeah. if I want to get my yeah, deadlift more specific if I want to build my deadlift to 650 I've got to do more round back deadlifting arched back does build it obviously if I get my arch back strength up to 600 then my round back's gonna go up but anyway I think you can handle more volume when you have stricter form with any yeah. lift and so but you you can undulate you can do squats bench and deads at the same time and undulate all three and do them all several times a week I think for me Lane it's it's I think this is a very very important aspect of learning how to maximize your strength is saying okay we all want to be like our heroes. I love watching Lane Norton lift, and I want to learn from him. But I'm going to experiment on myself, and the squatting volume works amazing for me. But I can't handle the bench vo volume you do, especially mm -hmm. these two a days, because my arms get so sore from the squat from the low bar squatting. If I did high bar squats, it doesn't beat me up as much. Yeah. And I've tried altering. You're talking my about the brachialis, the the pain right in between the bicep and tricep. Yep, this arm pain yeah. of death, which, by the way, Lane, it's funny. I, I brought this up at the powerlifting gym, and five different guys that were there at the time, five different guys were like, I get that too, and it affects people's bench more than their squats, interestingly. But yeah. uh, And also with deadlifts, I think I do best when I deadlift twice a week. I think people need to learn their best frequencies, but I think those can change over time is what you would Absolutely. say. Absolutely. And so I want to take a couple points with this. And so I think the important thing to point out is you can still undulate rep patterns even if you're doing one time a week or two times a week. It's just that if you're making like three different rep patterns, like for example, if I did deadlifts two times a week, which is actually what I'm doing right now, um, you could do undulations of three, but it would just be, you know, you would, so you would do like, let's say you were doing, uh, let's say we're doing five, three, one, right? So first day of first week, you do five, second day, three, first day of the next week, one. And then the second day you could yeah. do five and then and then three one, kind of going through like that. Now obviously it can get a little weird in terms of how your programming lines up with your other lifts. That can be kind of weird. Um, but yeah, you can you can undulate any any kind of pattern. And the other thing I'll say too, Brett, is is it's very individual. And definitely when I was pulling conventional, um, I could pull conventional. It, I don't want to generalize, but my best pulls were with a straight back. Um, or a straight lumbar and not and, and probably a rounded thoracic. But what I switched to sumo because I was about just as good at sumo and I found I could handle much more training volume, much more training volume. Uh, if I tried to do the weights that I'm doing right now with conventional with what I'm squatting, it would crush me. I mean, I, I would be a wreck. 
Um, but I can, but so that's one of the reasons I made the switch to sumo. But uh, you know, it's just one of those things where. Um, but but again, like with your 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 limb links and that sort of things, you're probably. And your arm lengths, you're probably always going to be a better conventional puller, regardless of how much you train sumo. And uh, and so, yeah, you're right. You do have to kind of, of tweak it for you. And the other thing to keep in mind is you can't make progress if you're out of the gym injured. And yes. that's another point oh, to make goodness. is yeah. that you have to progress volume appropriately, right? Like I'll see a lot of people who will look at my my squat volume. You know, I, I, I hit 64,000 pounds last week, which is my all-time – PR for squat volume. It actually performed pretty well, which I was surprised at. Um, but people will take that and they'll go, oh, I'm going to do 60 pounds of volume. No, don't do that. You're going to get hurt. You don't even squat 300 pounds yet. Like, don't do that. You're going to get injured. The point is what you need to see is that if your squat volume is 5,000 pounds a week now, what you want to see is that going up over time and it has to be progressed appropriately. Don't look at me, somebody who's been doing this for 10 years or 15 years and who is, you know, this is going to sound arrogant again, but I mean, I I won the U.S. national championships. I'm pretty good at this. Um, You know, don't compare yourself to me. You have to you want to progress volume appropriately and what's appropriate for you. And eventually you may get to that level. But if you just try to jump up straight there, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen like that. And you'll well, likely just get injured. We should compare ourselves to you in terms of how – but you'd have to take a step back and look at how you've progressed over the years, you know? Because right. you, you didn't start out doing this much volume. You worked into it. So I think it's good for, for a guy like, you know, like me – if I looked at what you were doing now, you know, because it, it, I will squat three days a week, but I haven't been doing the five sets of seven and things like that. It's more like th- three sets of eight, then three sets of this. But I know that next year I want to be doing four sets of all that with a little bit heavier load. You know what I mean? It's Do you agree? You you can do what's also what's called block periodization where, you know, you're, you're undulating rep schemes, but you're also – intensifying as the blocks go around. Um, but yeah, I mean, so much of this is so individualized and I got to give huge shout outs to, uh, Mike Zordos and, and Ben Escrow is, is to kind of, I mean, they didn't really, I don't want to say they taught me. I mean, I, I did sit in on lectures from Mike and so Mike taught me a lot. Um, but just, you know, if you're a coach and you watch other people coach, you pick up stuff, you know? And so like watching Ben do my programming, I, I picked up stuff that I never would have picked up trying to read this stuff on my own and, um, you know, seeing how he incorporates di- different things and, and different rep schemes and, and, and what, and to use different strategies. It's just very interesting. And when it comes to periodization, I, I think, you know, Mike made a great point. He said, you know, we're always trying to find what's optimal, but we have to understand that optimal is never going to happen. That's like perfection. It's not, it's not ever going to happen. So when he was talking about his, his, um, he did a study where he was looking at undulating the phases, so undulating uh, strength, power, and hypertrophy phases. And it had always been done, uh, or the, typically the way it was done was hypertrophy, strength, power, in that order. And I said, well, what about doing hypertrophy, power, strength? Because hypertrophy works where you're going to have your most muscle damage, you're going to be most sore, and if you try to do a strength day next, you're probably going to have impaired function. And so he compared those two and found that hypertrophy, power, strength was better. You mean within and the so, week, Lane? Right, exactly. Yeah, within I the agree with that. That's funny. I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know you can do your, your power workout to like you know sixty seventy percent with low reps there for speed. You know, and those are the even if you're sore, you can do that. You know, 
Um, but and then you're, so and somebody then you're said to him, "Well, you found right." right. And, and, and so somebody mentioned to Mike, they said, oh, well, you found the best form of daily undulating periodization. And Mike goes, no. <laughs> All it means is we, he's like, we might have found the second worst form of daily undulating periodization. We just know it's better than this traditional one. OK, so I think that's important to keep in mind is that, you know, there's there's literally limitless ways you mm-hmm. can undulate uh, things mm-hmm. and that, you know, there's there's something to be said for experimentation and, and trying new things. I, I think that that's a huge, huge I think people get in this idea that there's this magic set and rep scheme. And then when they find something that works, they go, oh, well, that's it. That's the magic solution. Yeah, yeah. You know, like people think small of the squat routine where you're squatting four times a week is magic. Well, no, small of works because you're squatting four times a week. You're using a lot of volume and you're undulating the reps. Okay. Um, and so what happens is people do small of, they'll put 30, 40 pounds in their squat and they think that routine was magic. There was magic sets and reps. Well, no. It was a lot of volume, a lot of frequency, and and you learned how to squat much better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a, but then they go back to doing their squats once a week, and they're surprised when they lose all those gains. You know, so I think that's important to. to, to well, I, I mean, I think uh, I think we covered a lot of stuff. Um, Brett, did you have any thoughts on what I on what I just said? Because I'm interested to hear your thoughts uh, on things, considering you're a coach and do programming as well. So I think uh, one way to kind of bring this this podcast to a close would be to kind of combining like um, let's say a, one of the some of the listeners out there are uh, bikini competitors or or female uh, physique competitors or even males who want to bring up their glutes or something like that but they also like powerlifting and I think it's important so I, I listened to your guys's last podcast and Lane, I heard you talk about you know volume load being the significant driver with hypertrophy, and yeah, I agree with that. Like over the long term, you've got to be using more volume if you want. Like for me, it's funny. People will want will think there's some magic way to make muscles grow without doing the hard work. And I, like for me, <laughs> I've been lifting for God since I was fifty, so twenty three years. You know, twenty three years of lifting. If I want a muscle to grow, any muscle, my quads, my biceps, whatever it is, say I want my biceps to grow, they're used to doing a certain amount and I've got to do a lot more. Now, I've never yeah. been a f- fan of just saying volume load because I remember years ago, my friend Tony Gentilcore had on his blog like a deadlifting volume contest and p- some people figured out that they could just do like... 135 for like 20 sets of 20 Shoot. and they could kill they could kill everyone rather than you know that would be a lot more volume than like doing 600 for five sets of five All right but the 600 for five sets of five would be better for hypertrophy than 135 for I, I would think do you see what I'm saying Lane the, the advantage goes yeah. to the the light really light loads but progressive overload you know if you can do 500 pounds for five sets of five right now and then next year you can do 520 pounds for six sets of six. You're gonna look better. Your muscles are gonna. You're gonna yes. be more muscular. That's imperative. That's correct. But if you like, if you have a certain muscle that you're trying to maximize the strength of, then I don't think it's you. You should try to get all your volume through the heaviest compound lifts because those also kind of drain the system a little bit. There's certain exercises that don't really. They can be added in a couple times a week without much penalty. Like they don't compromise your overall recovery. P- 
pick some exercises for those. Like say for and what Sohi said with when she quoted Brad, she <clears> said the three mechanisms of muscle hypertrophy with muscle right. damage, uh, mechanical tension, and metabolic stress. Well, I like the metabolic stress side of things. Pick some exercises that get you the burn, that get you a pump, and finish off the workout with it. And Lane, I think that's kind of similar to what you have in your fat program, which I haven't, I've right. never done that. But you, your whole premise is do the heavy lifting, increase your volume load over time. And then add in specific works for specific stuff for the exercises you're trying to grow. So in my case, since most people f come to me because of their, you know, they they want glutes. So all of my programs always involve squatting and deadlifting, and then we also add in hip thrusts and back extensions and some other exercises for high reps to to get you know the, the metabolic stress in there, which is what I know Jeremy Lenicky, your friend. Yes. Is big on with with uh, with with the the um, blood flow restriction training. It's like it's it's low stress. It's easy, you know you can add this stuff in frequently and it doesn't beat you up so much. So that's I think it kind of blends it all together for those people who like physique. Because Lane, you're kind of and I like to think I'm doing this too. We're we're trying to spread this whole you know lift heavy, train for strength, but eat properly keep your yeah, calories in, in, you know keep your calories in check and you'll let you powerlifting plus good eating equals a great physique we're trying sure. to dispel this motion this notion that you know you have to train like a body part split you know with high reps and not go heavy with like body like this stereotypical bodybuilder to look your best and it's fun lifting heavy can be very fun people can get into it if you eat well and lift heavy, you'll have a good physique. But how do you maximize your physique, or how do you take, you know, how do you make sure you're doing everything possible? Add in the extra stuff, and yeah. bring that in. And I think we'd all agree that that's the best approach. Correct? I agree. I, th I think that you know, if you're like you said, the three main drivers of hypertrophy, why not use all of them? And that's why I tell people. People say, "Well, what rep range do you like?" I said, "I like all of them." Yeah, <laughs> it's just in context. You know how much I always say everything is tools in a tool belt. And you know what? I'm going to use my hammer a lot more than I'm going to use my power drill. But that doesn't mean I don't keep my power drill around, mm -hmm. you know? It doesn't mean I only use my hammer. It just means I'm going to use my hammer more often. So I hope, hopefully that makes uh, but sense But you have the base of strength, Lane. And so let's say you were going to compete in like three months for a, a bodybuilding show. You have this great foundation of muscle mass, but you would probably say I want my – upper pecs or my biceps or something you know what i mean you would have and then you'd right. start doing more isolation oh, with, absolutely I've, yeah. I've lost i've lost you know half an inch off my arms during powerlifting. not not because i don't like training arms i don't like training as much as the main lifts but because i'm spending so much time squatting mm -hmm. bench pressing deadlifting i just don't feel like spending an extra half hour on my arms at the end of the day and they're already pretty good um but you know but i also know that uh last time i had the same thing happen when i was working with mike and uh in six weeks I had my arms back up to what they were because huh. I, I put in that volume back in they came yeah. back up you know yeah. and um, yeah and I, I think the point Brett you made and I'm going to close out with this is that um, you have to be yes you can get more muscle without getting stronger but at the end of the day if you're not putting more weight on the bar yes year after year you're not going to gain more muscle okay you can make short term gains in muscle mass uh, from, from different things but to really change your physique over time, you have to get stronger. And also look at it this way. If you get stronger, maybe that 
12 week block you spent really focused on strength, you didn't gain as much muscle as you could have straight up if you were just doing a pure hypertrophy based workout. But if I can squat 500 for five versus squatting 450 for five, I have a greater potential to induce growth over the long term. And I think a lot of people miss that, that, that getting stronger means you can create more overload, you can create more volume with the same numbers of sets and reps because you're using more weight. And I think that's really important. And I think it's important to emphasize as well that this applies not just to men, but also women. I'm sure, you know, I think some women, sometimes they listen to stuff like this and they say, oh yeah, but this is only for men. No, it's women also. Chicks should, you know, you want to be getting stronger. You don't want to stay with the pink dumbbells your whole life. You should be getting stronger year after year. That's what I love about my gym. The, you'll hear the women talking and they, 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 I love when I hear women say, you know, you know, like how much, you know, I, oh, I conventional deadlifted this much last week or I did this many back extensions with this, holding on to this dumbbell or this many walking lunges within, they, they, they brag about their PRs and I, I feel like women should be doing that. Yes. Women lifters should be bragging about their PRs. But other yep. people, oh, I'm proud of my strength gains. Absolutely. Absolutely. So short, short term, uh, lift heavy, eat well, and do glute bridges. Yes. Uh, <laughs> do glute work. Well, Brett, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really enjoyed it. Uh, you were great. And I really love the story of how you got into it. That's just, I didn't that know is that story. so yeah. typical typical of scientists that they just have that question and they can't get it out of their head. They will not let it go. That is the basis of science. And I'll tell you, Lane, if I find, you know, other, in my studies, if I, I flow with the research. So I think some researchers are afraid to, like, if I come up, if I, if I find that I was wrong in my studies, then I switch gears and my, my fans, my readers will not, they won't hate me for it. They'll love me for it. You know what I mean? You don't need to fear science. I don't see... I know some researchers that will not, they won't research certain things, claims that they make because I think they're scared of the results and that's just not the right yeah. way to be. I know somebody that very much fits that profile. No, exactly. Like people have criticized me for, yeah. and I don't want to get too far into this, but like reverse dieting, metabolic adaptation. Well, I'm trying to set up research studies to look at that stuff yeah. because I care about the answer because I want to be a better coach and I want to get the right answer. And you know, by I, the way, Lane, it's always us. We're going to be the ones researching it. You know, the critics never do. They just complain. No. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right, guys. Well, that was a great podcast, Brett. Thank you so much for, for coming on. I'm sure we'll have you on again in the future. And uh, we look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode of Physique Science. For now, lift heavy, eat well, and love life.